The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. Hope to bring you a slew of winners and some great guests out of the gate we will be talking with Gina Gans. Uh, Gina recently uh, has signed on with Equix, uh, who are a bloodstock company that advises people on the purchase of horses and the breeding of mares. And I've uh, known Gina for oh, probably 12 years now, and uh, she's really taken some great stepping stones to a successful career uh, in, in thoroughbred racing. Uh, she was a graduate of Ohio State. When I first met her, she was an exercise rider on the Ohio circuit. Uh, then she uh, hooked up with Ohio's leading trainer, Tim Ham, and for six years was his assistant and was all over the place, uh, pretty much handling his horses both in Ohio, Kentucky, and in Florida. So it'll be interesting kind of tracking the career of Gina and to find out more what Xwix actually does. Then, if you've watched any television over the last 20 years concerning thoroughbred racing, then you'll be very familiar with our second guest and our handicapper, and that's Katen Brader. Uh, there's not much in the business that Katen hasn't done, and in researching her, what I didn't realize is that she's the granddaughter of Hall of Fame jockey Ted Atkinson. Uh, like I said, she's done just about everything on the track and, of course, on air. She started in Louisville, and since then, she's been on pretty much every uh, wagering platform. She was one of the first people actually hired by TVG to be an on-air talent. So uh, we're going to talk about the life and times of Kate and Brader, and then we're going to break down a series of stakes races from Gulfstream Park. They have a slew of stakes over the weekend and on saturday we're going to get a look at a horse that could potentially be the kentucky derby favorite mo Heyman will go to post in the mile and a 16th holy bull stakes and he'll be taking on greenpoint crusader who won the grade one champagne at belmont last year so we'll see who Caton likes in that race or if there's any sleepers in there also at Gulfstream, we have the Grade 2 Swale Stakes. Now, this is a race that's produced some really nice horses over the years. Champions have raced in it, like uh, uh, Chief's Crown and Favorite Trick. 
uh, other well-known names. How about uh, Belmont Stakes winner Easy Goer, uh, Housebuster, uh, Summer Squall. A lot of great horses have raced in the swale, and we'll see who kind of comes to the top in there. It's an interesting group. Also, uh, most of the horses in there are nominated to the Triple Crown. Then we'll take a look at the girls, the three-year-old fillies down at Gulfstream. See if they can stretch out a little bit. This is seven furlongs. It's the grade two forward gale stakes. So that's a look at our guests and the races that we'll be looking at. Hopefully last weekend you pulled down some easy win forms because we had some nice winners just yesterday at Tampa Bay. How about this one in a pick five, $15,320. Unbelievable how they came up with this one. Uh, of course, uh, Fairgrounds is running now, and we had a 50-cent super high five, 9468 And Tampa Bay, one of the – Popular signals to you simulcast players because of the large fields they get. Uh, just the other day, we had a 50 cent super high five of $5,837. And just two days prior to that, had a $1 super effect key that returned over $4,700. So, Winning Ponies, we're happy to bring you the radio show, but you definitely want to pull down the easy win forms when you're going to the races or a simulcast center near you. All right, well, all eyes turn into Vegas. It's the 17th annual National Handicapping Championship. Seems like it started about five years ago under the guise of Stephen Christ. And uh, so it runs from today through Saturday at the Treasure Island in Las Vegas. The largest purse in handicapping history estimated at $2.45 million, with 800000 going to the winner, and of course, the winner gets an Eclipse Award for Horse Player of the Year. Now, you can't buy your way into this one. You've got to win with a qualifier. There's 507 individuals that are going to be playing. 119 of those qualified twice, so entry-wise, there's 626 entries. Uh, also, there's People going for repeat winners, uh, Stanley Bavlish, Richard Goodall, Brian Troop, Michael Baycheck, who's been on this show several times, and Jim Bennis. Also, there will be uh, six winners of the prestigious uh, National Handicapping Tour uh, that have won the competition over the years, uh, Tom Noon, Paul Sherman, Mark Streif, Ben Sunja, and then in 2014, it was Eric Moomy, who's been a guest on Winning Ponies. And just last week, we had Jonathan Kinchin, who I understand is off to a fairly good start uh, today. Uh, plenty of places you can go. If you go on drf.com through the racing form, you'll be able to track the play of the guys in the National Handicapping Championship. And uh, there is a Hall of Fame, and we had two people. Uh, one that's been a guest on Winning Ponies, and that's Stephen Christ, who actually was influential in the formation of the NHC, and uh, he uh, is being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Of course, he's the publisher and great columnist for the Daily Racing Forum since 1998. And Judy Wagner is the first horse players representative on the NTRA Board of Directors, and she's being drawn in. So congratulations to the both of them. All right, now it is Triple Crown nomination time. And... Uh, we will find out uh, who's going to get that done starting with May 7th at the Kentucky Derby. 
That'll be the kickoff date. So the early nominations, 368. So it is the time that they nominated, and they actually had less horses nominated than last year. Now, you can nominate, now this is only $600, but for 6000 if for some reason your horse jumps up in one of the races uh, leading up to the Derby and you decide you want to get in, you got till March 21st, pay $6,000. Well, no surprise here as far as the Triple Crown nominations are concerned. Bob Baffert led all trainers with 35 nominated, and then behind him, Seven-time Eclipse Award winner Todd Pletcher has 28 horses currently nominated. And then the other ones in uh, double digits are uh, Chad Brown has 12, Mark Cassie 11, and Mike Maker has 10, along with Dwayne Lucas. All right, well, we got to follow the travels of California Chrome. And, uh, of course, he is settled over in the Dubai region, heading for the Dubai World Cup. And uh, they're saying that it's likely he's going to have his first start in a $150,000 handicap at Maydan Racecourse on February 25th rather than the $400,000 Mock Tomb Challenge. So he is settled in right now. He got there last Friday, began exercising on Monday after getting out of quarantine. And Art Sherman's son, Alan, is, is going to stay with him. And according to Art Sherman, Alan texted me and the horse looks good, been galloping for a few days, and moving forward. So California Chrome, you may recall a couple of weeks ago, won his 2016 debut in the grade two San Pasquale State at Santa Anita, and right now he's five. He's now won 10 of 19 for earnings of $6.4 million. Well, I had a close call uh, last week. Our friends at Old Friends uh, had a fire at the farm, and their barn that went down went down fast. It was the quarantine and medical barn that caught fire last Saturday. Luckily, the two residents there, which are Alphabet Soup and an auction rescue horse, Archie's Esco, got out in time. Now, right away, Hall of Fame jockey Chris McCarron helped spearhead a GoFundMe account that in the first 24 hours already had 13000 But just before it went on air, uh, got a press release from Michael Blowen that says Fazzy Tipton, through Blue Horse Charities has donated $50,000 towards the rebuilding of this structure, which will be known as the John Hettinger Memorial Barn. Uh, The Blue Horse Charities was founded by John Hettinger, and uh, he was a friend of Michael Blowen's, and certainly he would be very happy to know that money is going to this. And uh, Blowen did say that all the donations received will go to the rebuilding of the new Fire Safe Hospital Barn and also to updating and fireproofing the larger main barn on the property of old friends. So uh, best of luck to those guys. If you're planning on uh, playing Charlestown, well, the Saturday card and the Friday card have been moved to Tuesday and Wednesday. So make note, they're still recovering from the impact of the extreme winter weather. So you're going to play Charlestown, you're going to play it on Tuesday and Wednesday. Well, uh, close call, Robbie Davis's son, Dylan Davis, it looks like he's going to be out three to four months 
with a shoulder injury. Ironically, Robbie Davis, who was a great veteran uh, jockey who's now training on the New York circuit, had not one but two kids in the race. His daughter, Jackie Davis, the younger sister of Dylan, uh, also was unseated, but she returned to win a race on Friday at Aqueduct. It was her first win of the meet. Uh, Dylan Davis, I've met him, great quality kid, just like his dad, and uh, he's only 28 years old. Again, we wish him the best of luck out three to four months. In breeding news, uh, just something real quick, my friend Joe Neville uh, just broke this story that nobody knew about, and that's Kentucky Oaks winner Lovely Maria has been sold to Japanese interest. Winner of the 2015 Kentucky Oaks, they're not displaying any uh, information about uh, the actual price. She's a four-year-old daughter of Majestic Perfection, who was previously owned and raced by Brereton Jones, who stands the sire at Adri Stud in Midway, Kentucky. You may recall Lovely Maria had won four of 11 career starts for earnings of just over a million dollars. Some uh, not-so-good news in the breeding seasons. Grade 1 winner Somali Lemonade was bred to Frankel and, sad to say, over in Europe, passed away at Loft Hall Stud in Essex, England. Of course, Somali Lemonade had a 24-race career with a 6-3-3 record, 981000 in earnings. And just last week, we had to tell you about the loss of the stallion Arch from Claiborne Farm. Uh, some more sad news from there. Storm flag flying at only the age of 16 has passed away. What a family she is from. Uh, Storm Flag Flying was foaled, raised, and spent her broodmare career at Claiborne Farm. And uh, she went on to become a multiple stakes producer in her own right with her progeny. Well, her mother, my flag, was uh, an unbelievable producer. She led uh, by Storm Flag Flying who went on to win the grade one Frisette and the grade one matron before winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. So, uh, so sad to see her move on. And sorry for our friends at Claiborne Farm. Uh, Lisa Blevins, she's out in Las Vegas playing in the National Handicapping Championship. She was with us last week. Man, she had a close call in the grade two Santa Monica. She picked a really nice horse that went off at 8-1, to one, named Finest City, made a great case for Finest City, who ran a game race in the Santa Monica and was bothered late coming down the stretch on a three-horse photo finish and was upset by 60-1 to one shot, lost bus. A lot of people thought the horse should have come down, but didn't. Lost bus, who was a former claimer, takes the grade two Santa Monica. Again, finishing second was Finest City, and in the third spot was Terra's Tango. Then we went to Tampa for two horses that could grow into the Derby and Oaks. On the girls' side, it was Our Girls a Charmer, trained by Mark Cassie, getting the job done over Cosmic Girl. Again, Lisa Blevins, she had two second-place finishers for us here. And in the third spot was Miss Elaney Longshot at 42 to 1. And then the last race that we played last week was on the boys, seven furlongs. The Pasco, inside speed, as we talked about, got the job done. Morning Fire takes it in wire to wire fashion over Epic Journey and 
awesome slate, a 1-3-2 inside speed holding at Tampa. All right. Also holding is Gina Gann. She's holding and waiting to talk to us now. So we're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to be finding out about the stepping stone career of Gina Gans, who's down there in Lexington, Kentucky. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and coming up with us now on Winning Ponies is Gina Gans. Now, I was lucky to meet her very early in her career. Uh, she's a Buckeye native from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, started out uh, as somebody that loved horses, experience in show jumping and three-day eventing, and then she kind of moved on into her educational world and decided to go to Ohio State that, that has a very good program in animal sciences. She earned a Bachelor of Science degree in animal science and a minor in agricultural business um, early on when I met her, she was working for one of Ohio's uh, top uh, stakes and percentage trainers, uh, Dougie Cowens, and uh, I didn't know her name, so in all my photo files, I just put down Red Vest Girl, because she would always wear a red safety vest, uh, so I could uh, mark down who she rode. And then after working with Dougie, who I think gave her a lot of experience on horseback, um, she hooked up with Ohio's uh, leading trainer of stakes horses, perhaps ever. I'm not sure how far back we go in the racing books, but uh, we've talked with his brother, Tom Ham, uh, who works with Taylor Maid, and this is Tim Ham, who's just an outstanding trainer. And uh, after joining on with Tim, he gave her a lot of responsibility. She was his traveling assistant for six years. She was up and down the highway uh, from Parks to Keeneland to Gulfstream, handling it all. So uh, with no further ado, Gina, welcome to Winning Ponies. It's great to, that you can join us. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm, I'm happy to. You know, and again, I didn't go through every single part of your life, but you really did um, from obviously your early love of horses, from, from riding and, and jumping and show, um, take every step that I think has to be uh, proper to put you 
in the situation you're in right now in, in working with, with Equix. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, uh, Equix. Am I pronouncing Equix. that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so basically kind of take, take me through your, your early years, Ohio State, exercise riding, uh, how you feel that each one of these experiences kind of added to the next one. Okay, well, from the very beginning, I grew up with at least one horse in my backyard. My dad always rode and loved horses, so we had horses at home. And um, I met a girl in first grade who had a riding stable right down the road, so that was it. I just rode from then on. And I got my first horse off the track when I was 12 years old. Um, he actually he won the best of Ohio. His name was Alpha Blood. Um, so that oh, was my yes. first horse. Albert Palacios yep. trained that horse. Yeah, he was a neat horse. He was he was uh he was one of those horses that's he's pretty special and uh he taught me a lot. So I got him when I was twelve and then I just kept getting more and more and kinda teaching them to jump and selling them and um so my mom was at in the tax shop at Beulah Park, I don't know what she was buying, um, but got talking to a lady named Karen McCleary, who is now she's passed away, but uh, she got talking to her, and that's how that all started, but then when I graduated high school, I started galloping horses, um, just just because I knew people from getting the horses off the track, so started galloping horses, and I was hooked because I loved going to work early, getting done early, I loved just uh, going to ride and not having to have perfect equitation and do everything perfect, you just worked hard and got the job done, and um, I was fortunate that even though it was at Beulah Park, I always worked for good people like Dougie and John Burke. Um, I mean, there were just so many good people that I worked for and learned a lot. So I went to Ohio State then and still galloped horses, and then I met Tim and started uh, working for him. I was his assistant. I went to Gulfstream right away. That was like a... That was an eye-opener, going to South a bit, Florida. A little bit farther away than Beulah Park, I can tell you that, in a lot of respects. Yeah, yeah, and it was, I mean, it was just, looking back, it's like, wow, I don't know how I ever made it. <laughs> but I'm tough, and I survived and learned a lot. Um, I think it helped me being around good horses and good horsemen there and good riders, kind of have to step up. Um, so from then on, I went to to Keeneland and Presque Isle, back to Keeneland and Gulfstream. I did that for six years. Um, and then from there, let's see, I guess there I, we always had, I had at least 10 horses, sometimes up to 25 or 30, and all the employees, I kind of ran the shed row, galloped a lot of horses. And in Presque Isle, I would gallop 10 a day. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, I was like in the barn doing everything. And then when the help wouldn't show up, I'd be hot walking. So, I was getting a little burnout. Um, it was a lot of work, a lot of responsibility. Um, so I met my now husband and decided to move to Lexington full-time. So I moved here, got a job working for Charlie Lepresti, just galloping horses. I, I chipped some horses up to Presque Isle for him and saddled them and did all that, but mostly just galloped for him. And... It'll be two years ago, this coming May, the day before the Oaks, I broke my leg at Keeneland. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I kind of made me stop and think, okay, I'm burnt out. I want to do something else. What am I going to do? Didn't know what to do. 
Um, got my real estate license while I was laid up, did that for a little bit. Um, and then my husband saw an ad in the TDN for the job at Equix. So he told me the first time I was in there, he was like, this fits you to a T. You have to send your resume in. And I didn't do it. Waited till the next week. It was still <laughs> in there. He's like, you have to do it. Serious. This is perfect for you. So I sent my resume in and I ended up getting the job. So that was just, that was in like November. So this is a new endeavor for me. I'm, I'm enjoying it and I'm looking forward to um, what 2016 has in store. Well, now, uh, so. <laughs> it helps owners buy and breed thoroughbreds uh, that have a statistically higher chance to be successful uh, racehorses. I mean, over the years, you've developed a real trained eye for body structures, soundness, confirmation. Um, how will you use your different skills in, in helping your clients? Well, I've seen a lot of different horses, a lot of good horses, a lot of bad horses. Been on their backs every day, watched them every day, checked their legs. And I think that just having hands-on experience and my eyes on them every day with, through the good and the bad is that's invaluable. A lot of people haven't had as many years' experience at the track like I have. So, you know, somebody who's young like me, I'm getting older, but <laughs> I still like to think I'm young. Uh, so I think having grown up with horses and been with them every single day, been with a lot of them, it's going to make a difference. Now, what would you say, I mean, as far as working with, with Equix, I mean, um, do you have experience in, in many of the, the different sides that they offer, such as um, the balance of structural components, uh, the, the breeze show videos, uh, the, the mating analysis? Uh, do you have a particular strength, or do they expose you to all of this so you can convey it to your customer? Well, a lot of it is new to me. I mean, there's not really any other company that does what they do, so so it's it's new to me, just like it would be for anybody else. Um, I have worked the sales some with Joe Brocklebank, who he's he's a great friend. He's done a lot for me, and I've been able to work the sales for him. He's very knowledgeable and been around forever. So I've learned a lot from him looking at horses at the sales. I was around at some. Tim, he sold some. I actually breathed a horse at Calder when they had Fazek Tipton at Calder. I breathed a horse as a sale for him. So I was around it a little bit there. Um, I think I have a, a good eye for looking at a horse. I can I can pick out a pretty good horse. But after after that, with the you know the heart scans and that, I'm learning all of that. Um, but it's it's a neat job because not only do you use Horse, horse knowledge like I have, but also use your brain and uh, there's a scientific part of it. So it's good, to, it's good to exercise my brain and think about <laughs> things and not just use the horsemanship that I have. Well, and, and that's the key word is, is your horsemanship because you have seen it from Beulah Park <laughs> to the Keeneland sale. So uh, you, you've seen it all. You know, you, you know what to look for. But like I said, you, you came up under two of the most quality guys that, that I know that, that race in Ohio in, in, in Cowens and Ham. And it has to be such an advantage that 
for so many years you were actually in the saddle. So you knew, A, what a good horse looked like, and B, what a good horse felt like. Yep. I think it made a big difference. And I have to get better. I'm so used to being on their back and feeling everything and seeing everything from from the saddle. It's been a little bit of a challenge for me to kind of change roles and be on the ground looking looking at the horses instead of feeling them like I have for so many years. Well, you've always been a, a quick study and a, and a fast learner, and uh, I know you've got to love being in the Lexington area. You've got to love being with uh, Equix. Now, if somebody wants to tap into your, your services, uh, Gina Gans, how do they get a hold of you? Well, you can go to our website, which is equixbio.com. Um, all my information's on there. You can call me. My phone number's on there. Um, yeah, just Google Equix, and it'll pop up. There's a lot of information on our website that's really good for anybody to look at. You can even watch some of the slow motion videos. Actually, there's a lot of slow motion videos on there that that the public can watch, and you can contact me through there. Well, I, I hope some of our listeners do if they're interested in getting in the business because I know one thing, not only have you taken every proper stepping stone in the business, uh, but you're extremely honest and you're a great communicator, Gina, and, and I wish you nothing but the best in the future. I know you're going to make it. Well, thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me. It's always good to talk to you. Happy to, and I'm sure that we'll uh, we'll bump uh, uh, together someplace uh, down around uh, Lexington, most probably someplace at the Keeneland sales. I always see you in the paddock at Keeneland. <laughs> well, I'm kind of easy. I'm the short, fat guy with the camera. <laughs> no. All right, we've been talking with Gina Gans, who's working with Equix, and uh, I wish her nothing but the best, and uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. When we come back, we're going to be talking with the well-known Kate and Brader. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. 
All right, and with me, a very well-known racing personality. So happy to get her on the show. Uh, I've had different people saying, when are you going to get Kate now? And I'm like, you know, that's a good idea. I'm going to give her a call. So I did. She agreed to come on. If you've ever turned on your your television over the past, oh, I'll say 20 years, odds are you've seen Kate in one way, shape, or form, whether it was uh, Wave TV. As I told you earlier, she was one of the first on-air talents for TVG. She's worked for HRTV, um, and she was a, a key part of uh, a, an Eclipse Award-winning production called A Legend Reaffirmed, which celebrated the 30th anniversary of the, of the last Triple Crown. Uh, that, of course, back then was affirmed, and that won an Eclipse, an Emmy, a Society of Professional uh, Journalists. Um, I could go on with her credentials, but it would take up most of the spot. So with no further ado, Kate and Brader, welcome to Winning Ponies. Oh, thank you, John. It's a, it's a treat to reconnect and uh, to get to talk to you tonight. Yeah, it, it has been a long time. I mean, it was back when the Cincinnati track I work at was still called uh, River Downs, and you were doing a feature for somebody. I, I think you might have been with Stu Kirschenbaum. I could be wrong. Um, no, I think that's I think that's what it was. It was a while ago. We did uh, we had a show. In fact, um, it was a show that I really enjoyed. Tom Durkin was a part of it too, called Thoroughbred Thoroughbred Week, and um, I did or Thoroughbred World, I should say, and I did a handicapping segment, and we tried to shoot at a lot of different racetracks, um, and I, part of. Part of the time they called it in the handicapper's corner, and another part of the time we called it um, the Equibasics of Racing when Equibase was sponsoring the segment. But uh, and that was uh, my first opportunity to get to come to Riverdance at that time. So um, it, yeah, many many races ago that uh, I think we first crossed paths. Absolutely, and it was it was a pleasure. Now I've had so much fun researching uh, your history. Uh, and so basically what I want you to do is kind of share with our listeners, I mean, what haven't you done in racing? I mean, talk about the very <laughs> early years. I mean, I know that you, you, it's in your bloodlines. Uh, I didn't realize that you're the granddaughter of Hall of Famer uh, Ted Atkinson. Yeah, it, it really was. Uh, although, you know, you could say it was it was destiny, uh, but then my sister, who has the exact same uh, bloodlines that I do, so to speak, is a high school math teacher in Grays Lake, Illinois. So you never know. But um, but that said, uh, my my grandfather, that was my mom's dad, uh, was Ted Atkinson, and he was a steward. He was retired from race riding and was a steward in Illinois senior state steward when I first was old enough to start coming to the races or, or to um, gallop horses especially. And then my dad, Ray Metzler, was a trainer in the Midwest. And so he gave me some great advice. In fact, um, I think I got it from both sides of the family, but which was, um, you know, there was never any discouragement from getting involved in, in racing or working with the horses, but he really... Um, wanted me to try a little bit of everything and to get a real good feel for all the different aspects of the business. And so I started with the passion for racing, but I, you know, and horses specifically. But what was uh, fascinating is before it was all said and done, I kind of found that my niche was um, connecting the people as well as the horses with with the television and, and the handicapping and, and kind of bringing it all together. But um, I did I did do a little bit of everything, and I, I kind of jokingly say, you know, I, I work for anybody that'll have me. But uh, I, I have 
felt that by working a little in the racing office, and I'm married now to a jockey agent, but at the time that I met him, Doug was a, a racing official, so I had a lot of experience kind of in the racing office, and then worked in publicity and marketing quite a bit, and, and group events, and uh, just kind of tried to explore all aspects of the business, which I think really kind of has helped me along the way. Well, you, you, you kind of dropped his name, uh, Doug Brader. If anybody doesn't know, uh, he's had uh, many different positions in thoroughbred racing. But right now, he is the agent for the sixth leading rider in the United States, Florent Giroux, uh, who just setting the world on fire. Boy, he, he got on the right roller coaster for sure. Oh, you know, John, it, it, it's so exciting when you say that, too, because of the, um, we've been, uh, Doug and I have been, you know, watching the standings, and, and you know, he's worked so hard, both uh, Doug and Florent, um, from about basically five or six years ago to get to this point, and to have him be among the top riders in the nation is just amazing. Last year was an incredible year, and um, right now, um, he's, you know, just doing all the right things and, and they're in the right places. And the, the hard part has been that he's had to go on the road a lot. Um, Doug's had Florent primarily in Chicago and in New Orleans in the wintertime. And then my circuit has been more Kentucky and all over the place. And then, of course, Florida in the wintertime. So there's some sacrifices, but um, we've kind of... Uh, had a meeting of the minds, so to speak, where he's, Doug's been coming in on the dark days to Florida a lot the first part of the season. Now I just got back from New Orleans uh, a couple nights ago, and uh, we've been going back and forth a lot, but it's it's all paid off, and it's just been a real pleasure and a lot of fun and kind of a different aspect of the game when he decided to be an agent um, to see that, you know, kind of side of things that I don't think I really was quite as cognizant of um, but Florent is, is just a terrific, uh, not just a terrific jockey, but he's really a good guy, too. He's got uh, two little girls, and he's a great dad. And so this has been just a lot of fun. That, that's fantastic. Well, you know, in, in talking about everything that you've done in the game, uh, you've created, I believe, such a comfort zone for yourself that you really come across great on camera. Now, how did you break into television? Was there ever that first awkward moment when you realized, uh-oh, I'm live? You know, it's funny. My my dad was a real talker. He was a people person and uh, never met a stranger. And um, I think that the gift of gab I inherited from him, and then it was just a matter of getting on camera. And I can't say I ever was really nervous on camera, but I was nervous a little when I initially started Doing before I ever really did television work, I did um, the Breakfast at Arlington, which was right. a morning workout show, and um, I really wasn't comfortable speaking in front of large groups, and that's essentially what the job was. And Jenny Ornstein, who um, many years ago did the Breakfast Show at Hialeah as well as at uh, in Chicago for a time, and did some television work too, and was a very good friend of mine and someone I respected a lot, and she said, you know. As long as you have a horse out there, you have something to talk about. You know all of this stuff. You just have to convey it and communicate it to everybody. And if you're ever nervous, just, you know, look out at the track and find something and explain it. And that's kind of been advice that's also stuck with me, although now it's a little bit different. But I, by the time we got to the television part of it, 
I really wasn't nervous at all because the biggest obstacle was actually just talking live in front of a big group. But now it's been kind of fun because after doing a lot of work for many years and for different television stations and in different capacities and, you know, at one point even doing the horseback reporting, um, which I always say a la Charles E. Candy, but now, of course, it would be Donna Brothers, but it... um, I did a little of that for ESPN, for the Belmont Stakes and the Breeders' Cup, and then also for the Dubai World Cup. But um, it's, it's now second nature, and, and really, compared to horseback reporting, easy to be on the ground and interview people and talk racing on camera. But um, I've gotten to incorporate kind of the, the paddock picks and a bit more handicapping into things with TVG now this year. So... Um, there's always kind of an evolution and always you're sort of always learning things in different ways to express yourself and to convey, you know, what a great, great game this is and, and the passion that you have out at the racetrack and the feel of it all. Well, you've done a great job not only of your analysis of uh, the competition on paper, uh, but the fact that your experience has lent you to uh, getting an eye for the horse really helps with your paddock mm-hmm. handicapping. Oh, thank you. You know, that it's been a lot of fun because, um, you know, that sort of, I, I worked with hunters and jumpers and, and show horses, and, and then I've worked a, around a lot of different trainers over the years, but the last couple of years, especially being in the paddock for every race, um, even if I wasn't doing a paddock pick per se for television, but just looking at the horses and trying to see, you know, what they conveyed, um, gave you a lot of opportunities, and you know we've seen so many great horses and and great horsemen, especially in South Florida, that um, you kind of got to hone your skills a little bit with it. But um, but it's been very gratifying because it's also been um, thanks to TVG and and the avenue that um, that I've had this season. A lot of people have um, have come up and talked about. Um, the picks helping them with their handicapping and with their their gambling. So that has been a lot of fun, too, to just, you know, connect with the fans and and find out that it has been helpful to some of the betters. Yeah, and, you know, excuse me, I've run my fair share of of seminars, and and I tell everybody, look, you're not super glued to your seat. Get out, go down. Paddock's usually a beautiful place to be at most tracks. Um, Take a look at the horse because they're athletes, and if they're having an off day, they may show you with a droopy ear or kidney sweat or the way they're uh, communicating with their handler, or they may come out there and and look like a prize fighter and realize, boy, this trainer's done an excellent job. This horse is dappled. He's looking good. He's looking strong. And and it could push you one way or the other because, you know, on paper, they're all so close for the most part. It really is true, John. And you know what? It's funny because I think that some of the people that are just learning the game or new to the game can be the best at this if they actually do take advantage of coming down because they don't have preconceived ideas or necessarily feel like they know what's right or what's wrong. But I always say if you follow your instincts if you and you take a few suggestions or, or just a few bits of um, of information and then you just go and you look. It's almost like meeting people or looking at a group of people and kind of immediately following your instincts as to what you get from them. You know, if, if they're angry or if they're um, not well or anxious versus um, really happy or confident. And I really think that um, people underestimate their ability to, to kind of perceive things and, and suss out 
those types of emotions and situations. And I think the new people, I have a camera person who is very young and who works part-time at the local station um, for the ABC affiliate, but then works for us as well. And he's actually worked with me the last three years. And uh, he's gotten more and more and more into it and is now every race just looking to see which horse he thinks looks the best. And then even if you don't bet every race, you can at least use that as a gauge. And he's uh, graduated to making some bets and, and actually cashing some tickets and has done really well. And he has a great eye for horses. But all it took is just starting to do it. You know, you've got to get up there and, and as you say, get out of your seat and come down and look at the horses. Absolutely, and then you help everybody in the audience you communicate to uh, do that. Well, again, we're talking with award winner Kate and Brader. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and then I'm going to ask her to put 10 pounds in a 5-pound sack and take a look at three quick races. Nice day at Gulfstream Park for you handicappers out there. So with that said, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, Kate Brader. She's lucky to be down there at Gulfstream Park with the warm weather. And we're going to take a look at a race that's had impact on the Kentucky Derby, and it is the Holy Bull Stakes, a grade two race, going a mile and a 16th. 1994 was won by Gopher Gin, and 2006, a nice horse by the name of Barbaro took down this race. And uh, with the Triple Crown nominations coming out earlier today, it looks like there's only one horse in this field, the outside horse, Frontier Ranger, that is not nominated to the Triple Crown. And, of course, Caton, it looks like all eyes are going to be going on Mohamed. This horse looks like a monster. He, he really does. And, uh, you know, I had opportunity to speak to Kieran McLaughlin, his trainer, um, a few days ago and asked him, uh, having brought over the past few years um, horses, he brought Kyra Prince, and then last year brought Frosted to the Holy Bull, where he felt like Mohamed was. And, and he said, you know, obviously at this point, he's 
but he's a better horse than either of those two were. And I think that's pretty high praise because I was pretty high on Frosted and even at the Holy Bull considered him one of my top three-year-old prospects. So if Mohamed is already, and he certainly has done more with three starts, he's undefeated, but I think that's, that speaks volumes to, um, to what Kieran feels like he has. And he really hasn't missed a beat as far as his training. He kind of eased off him uh, after the Remsen, gave him a little break, brought him down to South Florida, and brought him back very gradually. They started working at Palm Meadows uh, back in December, right at the end of the year, December 31st, I think, and he's been consistent ever since with his workouts. His last workout was very fast. It was the best of 10 uh, for five furlongs. It was 59 and two. And Kieran said they originally were hoping for something a little bit slower, but he said he did it so easily. And and I think that's another thing that um, speaks to ability. You know, you see these horses, these really, really good horses that always do a little bit more than their trainers even expect that they're going to do. Um, they didn't bring him to school. Uh, in the paddock, which Kieran typically does with his horses, but he he said he's kind of a light-framed type of horse, and right. he doesn't want to risk having bringing the horse over to school, getting Mohammed all worked up, and having him lose a little bit of weight in the process, and then off of just one race with the schooling, then be set back rather than use this race as a step forward. So I thought that was an interesting move and a little different than in years past, but I'm, I'm very eager to see him. I have not seen in person um, this season uh, most of the horses in the field. Just a couple of them have raced at Gulfstream, but it really looks like it's Mohamed's race tactically, too, because he has some some early speed, and there really isn't much speed in this race. There's maybe maybe Conquest Biggie could be forwardly placed for Mark Cassie, but I, I think that's a big maybe because he really hasn't shown that kind of speed on a fast track. And uh, there's there's just not a lot of early pace in here, so I think it's going to be a, a very good race for Mohamed. Absolutely, I think this is going to be a day where you, you might want to do a lot of you know your your pick threes, etc. Of course, if you're looking for an exacta in here, I mean it's hard to knock a horse that won the the Grade One Champagne Greenpoint Crusader, uh, who got mugged early in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile last year, but you know. Uh, uh, Okay, now, when I look at Mohamed's just easy works uh, there at Palmetto's, and then I look at Greenpoint Crusaders, which are still impressive. I mean, Mohamed's still about five or ten lengths faster than this horse in the morning. Uh, you know, I, I see Mohamed on top, a Greenpoint Crusader, and like you said, the, the one that those two might be running down is Conquest Big E as far as a, a trifecta possibility. Now, there's going to be a horse uh, race run earlier in the day, the, the swale stakes, and it's a grade two, it's seven furlongs, uh, so you're probably not going to get any derby points. But let's face it, you know, you can go back to 85 when uh, Chief's Crown just beat Creme Fresh, and 88 it was seeking the gold, and 89 Easy Goer, uh, 90 at Housebuster beat Summer Squall. Uh, so you've had a lot of talent come out of the swale, so there's no reason to think that after winning this race, some of these horses might not step up to the Florida Derby. Truly, and you know, I think because it didn't draw a huge field, we're, we're talking only six three-year-olds, um, and the favorite being kind of a locally based horse, um, that awesome banner, that maybe this race is not going to get the credit it deserves, but I really thought awesome banner is something special, and I think that's part of the reason the field came back as compact as it did. He won the Hutchison just 
so easily. It wasn't a lightning-fast time, but he did it exactly the way you wanted a horse to do it. And this is Stanley Gold, who developed Awesome Feather, who would be uh, undefeated and win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies um, and, and come back as a very nice older horse as well. And Awesome Banner has a similar type of pedigree, same uh, owners, Jacks or Better Farm, who bred her, or bred uh, Awesome Feather, bred this one. He's two for two, broke his maiden at Gulfstream in June, then had to have surgery, went to the sidelines, had surgery, and came back in the Hutchison as the favorite and won almost as easily as he broke his maiden. So I am very eager to see him. I think seven furlongs shouldn't be a problem at all. He he draws fine because he's got a little speed inside him from Richie the Bull, but at the same time, um, I think naturally he's going to find himself on the lead, and he'll be very tough. But I'm eager to see Economic Model, who draws the outside, the son of Flatter, who has just one start, broke his maiden at Saratoga back in August for Chad Brown. And uh, Chad's been sort of quiet. He's, he's a little bit quieter this meet so far than in years past. But that said, um, I expect that we're going to see more and more from his barn. An economic model is kind of bred to get better as he gets longer since he's by Flatter. Uh, but he, he showed me something in that debut. He was the favorite, so he was obviously pretty well regarded, um, but kind of broke sharply, then settled back, then did what he was asked to do. And now Joel Rosario picks up the mount there. So those are kind of the two horses that in my mind I'm keying in on. You've always got to worry about Todd Pletcher. He's got Ready Dancer, but I don't like that inside post. And uh, he, you know, he could certainly improve. Um, but to me, I think Awesome Banner is going to turn out to be just a, kind of a super horse. And in this short field, uh, there's only two horses that are not nominated to the Triple Crown. So there's a lot of hope there. Again, seven furlongs, they could stretch out. My producer's telling me I only got about three minutes. I'm going to probably give you the... I don't know if this is the toughest race or, or, or not, but it is the, the grade two forward gal. And I guess the mystery horse in here is Catherine Sophia. Is she good as her running line indicates? She's won two races by 12 and three quarters and 16 and a quarter uh, from Parks and Laurel. Uh, what, what do you think about this, Philly? It's going to be fun to find out. She's undefeated. John Service has not won a race at the meet, but he's only had eight runners, to be fair. Um, and she looks like the real deal. I think she's a really talented Philly. I, I, I think she's going to have some trouble on the front. Island Saint is going to give her a test. I think Island Saint might be a little faster. And if those two hook up, I actually think that it could um, lend itself well to a horse like Conquest Babiaga, who's trying the dirt for the first time. She ran twice at Woodbine on the synthetic and was second in the glorious song. She's trained by Mark Cassie, who had a breakout year last year and who I think is going to be one of the trainers everyone is talking about this uh, this season. And she's by Uncle Mo, who is the hottest sire around. So I, I just I think she can sit in the garden spot. Mike Smith is actually in and going to be riding her for the first time. And uh, I, I can't wait to actually talk to Mike and also get to see this filly because she's supposedly training really well, and I think she'll transition to the dirt nicely. Yeah, when I saw Mike was coming in for the card, I was wondering, you know, what, what's, the, what's his trump card here? And it may well be Conquest Baba Yaga. We're going to see a lot of Conquest horses, I believe, on Saturday at Gulfstream Park. Uh, Kate and Brader, uh, th- thank you so much. It was so good to hear your voice again, and uh, you are just a, a pleasure to watch on the screen, and you are an, an astute 
uh, horsemen, and you're really able to relate that to your listeners. Well, thank you. It's it's always a pleasure, and and anytime, give me a call. I would love to join you again. Great. Well, you're in trouble now because I got your number. <laughs> I look forward to it. All right, thanks a lot. We've been talking to Kate and Brader. I want to thank her for breaking down. Again, it's going to be a great day at, at Gulfstream Park. Uh, these are just uh, three of the several stakes uh, that are on the card down there, and uh, I appreciate her insight. It's also great catching up with uh, Gina Gans. Wish her uh, nothing but the best uh, with, with her future career with Equix. And I want to thank all the listeners for joining us uh, as loyal as you are. Don't forget, go to winningponies.com and pull down some easy win forms. Might help you find some extra winners there at whatever track you prefer. Well, once again, I'm looking out the press box window over the manicured turf course past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. Remember, folks, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.